Carl Nielsen wrote his clarinet concerto in the late 1920s, the last full decade of his life. He devised a grand scheme at the beginning of the 1920s. He was going to write a concerto for each of the five members of the Danish wind quintet, who'd given the premiere of his own wind quintet in 1922. And he got to know them personally. And one day, while he was listening to them rehearsing and apparently arguing over some little musical detail or other, he conceived the idea of writing a concerto which in some way reflected the character of each of these five musicians, not just their instruments, but the personalities themselves. Well, he got as far as writing the flute concerto and the clarinet concerto, and then, unfortunately, he died. Because one of Nielsen's problems was that he had a pathological refusal to take things easy, despite the fact that his heart was weak throughout his life and that he had a major heart attack in the early 1920s. He was actually recommended to take up knitting by his doctors, believe it or not, as a way of getting him to do something with his hands that would still allow him to keep still, because apparently this was a major problem. He was so hyperactive. He'd been persuaded to take a holiday in Norway in 1928 and did some energetic cross-country skiing where he managed to break two ribs. But as he wrote in a letter to a friend at the time, if I must live like an invalid, then I've no desire to live at all. And that was what partly was responsible for his final fatal heart attack in 1931. There was a rehearsal for his opera Saul and David at the Royal Theatre in Denmark. And he climbed up a rope to show a stagehand how to do it properly. And that apparently was the last straw. And Nielsen died. But something definitely good came out of that 1928 holiday in Norway, and that's the clarinet concerto, which he wrote for the Danish Wind Quintet's clarinetist, Orga Oxenvard. It's in one continuous movement. It plays without a break for about 25 minutes. And it's said sometimes to be based on the character of Orga Oxenvard. Well, I don't know what he might have thought of that suggestion. It certainly seems to be uh, Nielsen's idea of the clarinet itself that uh, appealed to him when he was writing the concerto. He described it as at once warm-hearted and completely hysterical, one minute as gentle as balm, and the next screaming like a tram on badly lubricated rails. <laughs> well, I don't know what our soloist thinks of that description. Maybe he's about to demonstrate how wrong Nielsen could be. But uh, here's an example, I think, of the kind of writing in the clarinet concerto that shows the clarinet in that particular warm-hearted mood that suits that description, gentle as balm.
Well, that's certainly gentle enough on the whole, apart from that strange little comment from the side drum about which more later. But here's an example of something else, a very different kind of side to the clarinet's character in the concerto. This is a cadenza from later on in the concerto, which definitely, to me, sounds as if there's more than a hint of a tram screaming on badly lubricated rails. Well, Nielsen seems to have known that his new clarinet concerto was going to be different from things he'd done before, more experimental, perhaps. In fact, in another of the letters that he dashed off at the time, he said, I've no idea how it'll sound. Maybe it won't sound good. But then I couldn't compose music if I always had to compose in the same way. And this is an interesting comment, because Nielsen seems to have a bit of a reputation in some circles as rather a conservative composer. But it turns out that in the 1920s he was fascinated by what he had heard of performances of music by the then really notorious avant-garde composers uh, in the 1920s. Not perhaps so much by the neoclassical Stravinsky, and you can hear him blowing raspberries at neoclassical Stravinsky in his Sixth Symphony, literally. There are these extraordinary tromboned glissandos in the middle of what definitely sounds like a spiky Stravinsky wind piece. But he was certainly impressed by Schoenberg, and possibly even by the wildly experimental composer Edgar Varese. So it seems that in this concerto, Nielsen was trying to find a way of responding to what he'd discovered in this astonishingly new music while keeping to his own course. Certainly, there are some pretty modernist moments in the clarinet concerto, like that cadenza we've just heard. And then there's that passage we heard at the beginning, which I said was typical, perhaps, of the clarinet's gentler character. It's actually polytonal. In other words, it's in two keys at once. I'll tell you what, I'll ask the horn to play his theme first, and we'll, we'll hear the melody on the top, which is in C major. That sounds pretty simple and tonal enough, but the bassoons underneath are playing in a completely different key. They're playing in E major. You put those two together and it's quite a weird effect, but it's fascinating how Nielsen manages to take this strange sound and develop from it lyrically, as he does with the horn.
It is a shame that Nielsen never got to write a horn concerto, which was down on his list as the next to do after he'd finished the clarinet concerto. Unfortunately, death got there first. But Nielsen's modernism certainly gets more extreme than that bringing together of two ideas in two different keys. Earlier on in the concerto, there's an idea that really does sound as if it might have been influenced by the extraordinary Edgar Varese. Some strident sonorities from the horns and bassoons, and then some very spiky, falling, dissonant intervals from the clarinet. This really is about as modern as modern music got in the 1920s. certainly pretty atonal at the beginning. And this from a composer who was often described as a defiantly tonal composer in the 20th century. Towards the end there, there are those echoes of folk music in the theme that the lower strings are playing. This is in itself a development of a theme that appears right at the beginning of the concerto and is in fact a theme that keeps returning, like a rondo theme, all the way through the concerto, which really does sound like Nielsen in his old nationalist folky vein, at least at first. Well, the clarinet does get a bit skittish towards the end, but that opening theme is very much in Nielsen's familiar folk-based idiom. So this is a work with many changes of character, many paradoxes and contradictions. It's mercurial, to say the least. And unlike many Nielsen works, the clarinet concerto seems to have been constructed more in episodes than as a continual argument. Nielsen once said, my music has a certain current. If that's broken, then it just doesn't work anymore. But in the clarinet concerto, he seems to be doing his best not to establish that current, but to build it up and then break it to change direction. So is there an idea that holds everything together in the clarinet concerto? Well, there's certainly that folk-like theme we heard at the beginning that keeps returning. But perhaps it's this very changeability that Nielsen said was for him so typical of the character of the clarinet. This change from one minute warm and at the balm of lyricism and the next minute shrieking like a tramcar on rusty rails. It's warm pastoral one moment, and then suddenly we seem to be in somewhere quite different, haunted kind of country, as in a passage like this.
There's definitely something haunted or a little bit demonic about that kind of music, which I think is relevant, because one thing that Nielsen said about the character of the clarinet while he was writing the concerto was he said that he thought it was a troll-like instrument. And um, I don't know if you've spoken to uh, people from Norway or Sweden or Denmark, but it seems that everyone I've met from this part of the world has some troll or ghost story to tell. They're all sometimes staggeringly improbable stories, and yet it seems that people are prepared to swear they've had the most extraordinary apparitions while walking in the mountains. Trolls themselves, especially in Norway, are supposed to be changeable. In fact, according to legend, they can either be very beautiful or absolutely hideous, depending on what your luck in life is like when you meet one of them. In fact, the Norwegian composer Arne Nordheim told me once that he did encounter an extremely beautiful troll on a mountain. <laughs> Um, in Norway, which uh, was just before he had a particularly impressive run of good luck in his own work. So as far as he was concerned, it was a real encounter with a troll. But the thing of the changeability definitely fits in with Nielsen's description of the clarinet's character. One thing one moment, another thing the next, which is one thing we're going to return to again and again in this concerto. You probably notice something else that's interesting about this orchestra here. It's a small, classically comprised orchestra with horns and bassoons and strings. But there's also this side drummer at the back here on his own. Now, various people have pointed out that it's rather interesting that there should be a side drum in this concerto because Nielsen wrote what must be one of the most famous side drum parts in the entire symphonic repertory. In the Fifth Symphony, the side drum has an extraordinary repetitive rhythm that he plays over and over again. And at the climax of the first movement of the Fifth Symphony, the side drummer is instructed to improvise, and I'm quoting from the score, as though at all costs he wants to stop the progress of the orchestra. Nielsen even tells the side drummer to have a metronome of his own so that he can look away from the conductor and deliberately not follow the, the conductor's beat at this point to make it sound as chaotic and anarchic as possible. Well, I'll get our percussionist, uh, Paul Patrick, if you'd mind um, playing that side drum rhythm as Nielsen has it in the Fifth Symphony, but on the kind of drum that he intended it for, for the big side drum. Definitely a militaristic kind of sound there. But we've been using a different kind of drum here, a much smaller kind of drum in this concerto. Paul, could you, could you play that same rhythm on the drum you're using for the concerto? There's a reason for this, because there's a footnote on the first page of the score, which I don't think I've seen many people seem to have noticed, where Nielsen says that the side drum in this concerto should be as small and as bright in tone as possible. And it's amazing how many performances of this I've seen where people use a big military drum, like Nielsen specifies in the Fifth Symphony. Well, that might be appropriate to the kind of mood he was trying to create in the Fifth Symphony, where he wanted some suggestion of sort of militaristic, anarchic quality, an invasive quality. In fact, he said, at one point said that the side drum in the Fifth Symphony represents senseless hate. But what he seems to have had in mind here in the clarinet concerto is something rather different, something perhaps closer to a toy drum or the famous tin drum played by the dwarf in the Gunter Grass novel. I don't see the drum in this concerto as being kind of destructive, militaristic, in the way that it is clearly meant to be in the Fifth Symphony. It's more in keeping, perhaps, with the prankster side of the clarinet and the troll 
as Nielsen called him. You could almost say that the side drum works as the clarinetist's accomplice. Sometimes he has little squabbles with the clarinet. You can see them disagreeing almost. You can hear them disagreeing in the music. But at other times, he seems to egg him on to more and more ludicrous and prankster-like feats, like a kind of sinister sidekick who's delighting in what he's urging his friend to do. This sort of passage, for instance... play that passage with a great big military drum and it loses its effect entirely. I think that lightness of touch is quite important here in the character of this music. Perhaps this troll element that Nielsen identified with the clarinet was an element in himself too, because there was certainly a self-destructive side to his own character. His own pranks could sometimes lead him into terrible scrapes, for instance the skiing accident when he was in Norway. But he was also a great entertainer. He was a, a family man. He was a great joker. Seems to have been a good person to have round to dinner altogether, a person who was very sociable and very entertaining. And you can certainly see humor throughout his music. But in these later works, like the clarinet concerto, this humor does seem to acquire a grimmer, more sardonic kind of edge. Perhaps Nielsen's battling with those thoughts of mortality on the horizon was making his humor darker. You certainly sense that from time to time in the clarinet concerto. And certainly there are melancholic moments in the clarinet concerto where the thought of mortality seems to bring out a different side to the clarinet's character. Well, one thing that's interesting that happens again and again in this concerto is that whenever the clarinet does seem disposed to show his lyrical, meditative, melancholy side, it's always that side drum who interrupts him. 
It's as though he's trying to encourage the clarinet to snap out of it, not to spend too much time in these melancholy reveries. Get back on with the pranking, the joking, sinister or otherwise. In this passage here, for instance, you can hear the clarinet is meditating melancholically, and then suddenly the side drum interrupts him, breaks in, goads him on to carry on with the fun. Interestingly, it also seems to be the little drum over there who brings out the modernist in the clarinet and in Nielsen. Listen to this passage, for instance. While the drum plays, he's as incendiary as ever. The clarinet is spiky and there's huge leaps and dissonant intervals, that very modernist style, that angular style we saw earlier on. Then the drum dwindles away to nothing, goes away for a moment, and the clarinet becomes more lyrical and thoughtful, gentler, warmer, but only for a little while, and then the drum's back again. As you've probably realized, listening to John Bradbury playing today, it's a hugely difficult clarinet part. In fact, the dedicatee of the concerto, Orga Axenvod, said that Nielsen must be a very good clarinet player indeed, or he wouldn't have known how to find the hardest notes to play. Here's just one of several terrifying solo clarinet cadenzas, if you wouldn't mind, John.
I'd like to bring you in at this point, John, because I wonder what you thought of that uh, Olga Axenvoy remark about uh, the concerto, about Nielsen finding the hardest corners of the instrument to get into. Is that your impression too? It, it is difficult. Um, it's been overtaken actually in, in the clarinet concerto repertoire by pieces by um, Magnus Lindbergh and Carigliano and John Francais. Mm. But, um, well, it remains difficult, but it's virtuosic as well, and that's quite nice to see for the clarinet, because a lot of people have ignored that side of the instrument. Do they ignore the virtuoso side, do you think? They think yes. of it predominantly as a lyrical thing. So this, this thing of Nielsen's about the clarinet having two sides to its character, you think, is, is quite important, do you? Yes, it's, it shows a very good understanding of the instrument. I thought the bassoonist in that wind quintet mm. remark was even funnier. He said, because he was going to write a concerto for all of them, wasn't he? Yes, that's right. And um, the bassoonist said, I think that's a very good idea. You must write a concerto for the bassoon, but don't expect me to play it. <laughs> Um, you've, 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 interestingly, you're bringing up your per player's perspective here, because sometimes there are things you only notice when you play a piece of music, no matter how closely you stare into the score. They only become apparent when you try to find your way around. There was something about near the end of the concerto that you were telling me just before we went on today. Well, it's probably a complete coincidence, but I can't help thinking, as a clarinetist, this is a valedictory work, as you've been explaining. The Mozart concerto was also the last orchestral work Mozart wrote, and this falling minor third figure comes again and again in the Nielsen, mm. but the very final time it comes. Is of course the opening of the concerto. Maybe exactly it's the same probably a complete coincidence, but it leaps out at the clarinetist anyway. Well, it may have been at the back of his mind. Certainly Nielsen loved Mozart's music. He revered he him, and uh, mm. I would know the clarinet concerto extremely well even if it seems to, at times as though he set out to write a kind of concerto that's almost the opposite of the Mozart in certain respects. But that's a very interesting point. But the other thing, you talk about the minor third coming back a lot in the piece, that interval, dee-dum-ta. We were talking about this and another discovering music when we looked at the flute concerto, but an awful lot of Nielsen's melodies center on this interval of the minor third. You'll notice this coming back again and again in the concerto. And as several Danish friends of mine pointed out, it's actually incredibly typical of the Danish language itself. Um, that it tends to move up and down in that kind of interval, rather like that. I have a friend called Per Nurgor, who has a habit of talking in minor thirds almost entirely like this, up and down like that. And uh, it's funny that the folk music of the language often seems to move in exactly that kind of intervallic orbit. And um, here is the music itself that he writes. It has the same kind of source in the contours, the melodic contours of the language. But I think that Mozart connection is really interesting, so thank you very much for that. Let's get back to, to Nielsen's own thoughts in this concerto, because we've talked about the, what you might call the melancholic side the, and the prankster side of the clarinet in this. But that word screaming that Nielsen used to describe the clarinet early on, like a, a tram car on badly oiled rails, does suggest also a note of alarm. And there are definitely passages in this concerto where the clarinet almost seems to kind of, as the, as the music almost starting to unnerve the clarinet. There's one passage here where he plays the same interval over and over again as though trying to hang on to it, while all around him is a kind of swirling orchestral chaos. Mm -hmm. 
at the heart of that passage, the clarinet repeating that folk phrase, da dum da 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 almost as though trying to hang on to it. And then the side drum returns in the middle, almost as though he's trying to bolster the soloist's nerve. Well, that's only my personal interpretation at this point. But it is possible as an interpretation of a message of a work that does seem to perplex a lot of people because the clarinet concerto does seem to be regarded as rather problematic, still in some circles. I think that's particularly true when it comes to the ending of the concerto. It's a very strange but haunting ending. The sound, I think, you'll probably find remains in your ears even as you go out of the hall. Think back to that holiday in Norway in 1928 when Nielsen wrote the clarinet concerto. He was having some fun skiing, he was experimenting musically and larking around generally. But all the time there are these reminders of mortality, that weak heart, which was constantly giving him trouble, the thoughts of death. And it's funny that towards the very end of the concerto comes one of the most serious, one of the most dark, melancholic moments in the entire piece. And just as it seems that the music really is looking onto the dark side and we're beginning to turn to F minor, the minor key side of the tonic key of the concerto, back comes the side drum and suddenly we're off again with another of those little sort of jokey folk tunes that we've heard earlier on. It's almost as though, the, the, again, the side drum is trying to break in on the clarinet's reverie and say, don't go there, don't think too much about these dark things, life is too short. something else that Nielsen wrote in a letter to one of his friends at the time he was writing the clarinet concerto that I think may help us understand the very ending of the concerto and the strange sounds that Nielsen conjures up there. He describes how he feels that something is happening to him and his attitudes are changing out in the wilds of Norway, writing in his log cabin in the middle of the forests. Even the temptation to slip over and visit you or call you on the telephone has now died away. Here all my unrest is soothed away in the sighing of the trees outside my window. Strange how everything changes. We're like motes of dust and nothing amid time and space. And yet in that freedom and peace, there's actually the greatest sense of life. Perhaps that sense of peace that comes through an awareness of your own smallness or nothingness is possibly one of the things that Nielsen is meditating on at the end of the clarinet concerto. Now, Nielsen was emphatically not a religious man. In fact, he described himself as an atheist on several occasions. But you could see his, this kind of attitude he's trying to describe as a kind of religious attitude towards nature, rather as you encounter in some of the later works of Sibelius. Nielsen is maybe struggling with this idea, which perhaps explains why this piece of music keeps changing its course so often during the argument. But it could certainly help explain the extraordinary ending. We heard that 
melancholic outpouring near the end, then the side drum springing back and that jaunty little folk-like theme. But this is almost the side drum sidekick's last moment. The clarinet settles down onto a low F. F is the key in which the concerto began. And that's very unusual for Nielsen. In fact, we were just having a discussion about this before the program. We could only think of one other major orchestral work by Nielsen that ends in the same key in which it began, and that's the Helios Overture, the overture about the description of the rise and set of the sun. So coming back to the key you started in, in that piece makes obvious sense. Normally, Nielsen's pieces, particularly his symphonic works, go on a kind of tonal journey. They start in one key, they end in another. And that journey, the nature of that tonal journey, has an awful lot to say about the kind of narrative Nielsen is trying to construct. In other words, the the story that the symphony or the philosophical idea that the symphony or concerto is trying to express has a lot to do with where the music moves in terms of keys. For instance, he said that the key of F at the beginning of his fifth symphony represented a kind of inertia, a sort of vegetative state, which has to be escaped from. And the movement to E-flat major, which is traditionally seen as a much more heroic key at the end of the symphony, is Nielsen's way of saying that he's managed to fight off this inertia to somewhere more positive, more energetic, more vibrant, more mobile than the place he's stuck in at the beginning of the symphony. But this concerto starts in F, and it ends in F, which, as I said, is unusual for Nielsen. So perhaps he's signaling to us that there's an element of acceptance here connecting with that quotation that I just read a moment or two ago about having that sense of one's own littleness amid time and space. And that itself brings a kind of freedom and peace. So the acceptance of F, the key in which we started on at the end of the piece, is a signal of Nielsen's ability to accept his own situation, perhaps even accept his own mortality. In this, his last great orchestral work. Certainly, as we get towards the end of the concerto, you'll hear that the clarinet is almost glued to that low F right at the bottom of his register. He circles around it and finally settles on it. There are a few more patters from the toy drum in the background, but they're increasingly ineffectual. and They get more and more distant, as though the toy drum is fading away in the distance. And there's no rousing the clarinet this time. He falls onto that F, he stays on that F. And then they have the final sounds from the strings as the clarinet sustains that low F, almost requiring an almost infinite effort of breath over those last bars. It's a real breath-holding moment at the end of this concerto, as we'll hear. <laughs> Beautiful use of harmonics on the strings at the end. The string players lightly touching the string as they bow it. We're giving that extraordinary sort of glassy, high, suspended sound at the end. It really does seem to me almost like a depiction in music of that line of his about how we are as motes of dust and nothing amongst time and space. 
Well, as I said, that's my interpretation, and it's over to you now, as you listen to Nielsen's clarinet, to see what kind of story, what kind of journey you think he's following as we listen to this concerto. But before we do, if any of you have any questions to ask either me or our soloist here before he undertakes this extraordinary heroic task tonight, do please put up your hands, and our person with the roving mic will pass amongst you. Is anybody anything you'd like to ask? When it was first performed, how well was it received? It's an extremely tricky piece. Um, did, did, did the uh, people take to it? And, how was it received? Yes, very, very badly. Um, uh, Nielsen had been a bit of a folk hero in his own country for a long time because he was regarded as an important nationalist composer. He'd put Denmark on the map, musically speaking. But then as he began to turn in these more modernist experimental directions, he started to lose some of his followers, and uh, people actually ran out of the hall at the first performance of the Fifth Symphony with the mad side drum cadenza in the middle. It was amazing. It was too much for people. And this concerto was extremely badly received. Audience were almost frigid, apparently, at the end, and the critics were quite savage. In fact, one critic said, this Nielsen, who used to have this tremendous integrity, has now sold his soul completely to the modernist devil, and nothing he has to say is of any authenticity anymore. There's a really quite extraordinarily tirade on that part. So it was a long time before this clarinet concerto began to be accepted. In fact, even now, it's still only just finding its way into the, the standard repertory. It certainly is a, a challenging piece, and it, as I said, it was, it was not one that, that people found very easy to understand. So it's time to hear this last and in some ways most problematic of Nielsen's orchestral works, the clarinet concerto written in 1928. Here to play it is our soloist, the clarinetist John Bradbury, the BBC Philharmonic with their guest leader Benedict Holland and the conductor Petri Zachary. <laughs> 